0: there's uh, a visceral or very direct experience that anyone can have from any culture, any background, especially humans. Uh, Animals are conscious living beings also, and they're just like us, except for they have um, the portal that they're in, the the specific body that they're in, uh, is more prone towards survival. You know, in Maslow's uh, Hierarchy of Needs, the, uh, according to the, the Vedic teachings, the, the human being can climb higher on that la- ladder and not be so concerned with just maintenance through what we call eating, sleeping, mating, defending. These are the four basic uh, foundational parts of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Uh, uh, humans can readily rise above that with a little guidance and that, and that guidance, guidance specifically comes through the wisdom yoga wisdom texts that teach how to take advantage of certain key practices that will connect one very uh, quickly to that experience that we're looking for that I'm a part of the the greater whole I have a relationship with my source and ultimately, we want to feel love. It's the ultimate experience. It's, it's the combination of all the elements I mentioned before that uh, actually uh, fulfills us. And that can be had through the uh, direct connection that one gets through the practice of changing the sound vibration in one's life. So there's two kinds of sound. And I'll give you a statement from the uh, ancient book called the Sri Isha So Isha, everyone say Isha. Isha means the supreme controller. The one who's, uh, if you look at an eel, it has myriad cells that change colors on it. And if you look at, how about an electric eel? I mean, who electrified it? There, there's a, um, a amazing uh, display of intelligence in the world. And Isha is behind it. Also, if we consider in our own bodies that if you cut yourself, you just assume that you're gonna heal, right? Have you ever had that experience? There's no big deal, it'll just grow back. It's like, how do you do that? That's, it's kind of like magic, but we take it for granted. When you see E.T. do it, I remember I saw him do it, uh, and E.T. touched somebody, and then they were healed. And you think, like, that's magic, but you could, you're getting healed all the time. <laughs> we are, that the, you know, these things come up. There's a kind of energy, a power, powerful, higher energy in the universe, and it's all coming from Isha. The, 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 the yoga wisdom texts say, Actually, he's there in our heart, Isha. And uh, he's also called, and it's used, it's a combination of that word, Isha, and another word called Hrishikesha. Hrishikesha means the one who controls our senses. He's the, the controller of all our senses. So when I want to speak or move my arms, then uh, I'm dependent on Isha to do that. I think about it like I'm doing right now, barely. And uh, my hand's moving. And my, there's a, I have a cognition, uh, that I want to speak something and then it's just coming out naturally. That's coming through Isha. How can I prove that? Well, if I wake up one morning and my hand doesn't work, I can talk to it and say, please work and it. It's just, if it shuts off, it's beyond my control. I'm not Isha, I'm not the controller. There is a God and I'm not him. And so Isha's closer to us than one might think. He's in our senses, he's actually uh, the closest one to us, not just by proximity, but also by friendship. This is the other concept of Isha. And there's another word for this that's really nice. It's sufrit. you wanna try that one? say suhrit so hrit means the heart and su means someone who's got our best interest in mind so isha is also called suhrit he resides in our heart and he's our ever well-wisher always thinking how to do the best for us however we also are endowed as conscious beings with a very special power and it's the most amazing power that we have and that's free will and we can decide to point our attention in any direction we can also decide to amend our lives in various wa- ways or not uh, we make decisions all the time so yoga means really to, f- to fine-tune that process come into Pinpoint awareness of what is my ultimate good, and then uh, develop a a sense for uh, a well reasoned sense for for what 's the best authority that I can find on this to help me to a uh, practice and it its it 's um, It's really the fulfillment of the human experience to have what's called sadhana. So there's three words that connect with uh, this word sadhana. Sadhana means a spiritual practice based on this goal of trying to reach your highest potential in human life. And uh, the other forms of the word from Sanskrit are sadhya. Everyone say sadhya. Sadhya means the goal. Without a clear goal, I feel disturbed. The mind becomes disturbed because the mind tends to branch out in many directions and then it's really hard to get any peace. But if I have a clear goal, what my ultimate goal looks like, this is very centering, and that's called the sadhya. Now, a person who has the goal, which is called what? Okay. 10 points. Uh, And then if you have a practice it's called sadhana and the person who does the practice is called a sadhu. It's all the same word just in different forms. So it's it's extremely fulfilling to be a sadhu. That is to have a clear goal, spiritual goal in life. And then to have a regular uh, daily practice uh, that one knows one's making progress towards the sadhya, towards the goal. And one way to think about it is how to keep the transcendental vibration going in your life because that's the main teaching that's given by the, the most brilliant minds and the mo- those who are the most absorbed in the practical teachings that come from These ancient yoga texts. As an example, uh, one of them is called Rupa Goswami, and he wrote a little book called, it's now called, translated in English, called The Nectar of Instruction. Isn't that an interesting name? How does it strike your ear? The Nectar of Instruction. And uh, so in this book, he gives advice about how to organize your own home practice. And so he, within a book that's distilled advice, he has a verse that he said, now here's the essence of all advice. So now we're really cooking it down, right? This is good to know. And he says in it, what do you think I'm gonna say now? Keep the transcendental vibration going. Keep the transcendental vibration going. That's all he says. That's the main thing. So as Stephen Covey once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't major in minor things. Don't get uh, sidetracked. So easy to get sidetracked. I read a book once by a uh, rhetorician from New York University. It was called How to Win an Argument. So don't don't get started with me now, because I read the book. So in the book, he says, the main problem with people arguing is they forget what they're arguing about. They get in an argument, people can't even fight a war. They get a war going and then like 20 years later they go, what are we doing this for by the way? Like what was our purpose behind this? It's, it's, it's so easy to get sidetracked in anything that we're doing and lose focus on what the main thing is. So Rupa Goswami is, says the main thing is to keep the transcendental vibration going in your life. And so then he says that there's different stages of that practice. In the beginning, he says, when you expose yourself to the transcendental vibration, you might not even like it. And he gives this example. There's a disease that I don't recommend you get. I don't recommend getting any disease actually, but this one is kind of weird. It's called jaundice. Has anybody heard of that? You turn yellow, literally. And it's because there's too much bile in your system. And there's a curative for jaundice, and this is kind of good news amidst this dark subject matter of the jaundice disease. You want to know what the curative is? Sugarcane juice. Yay! But wait a minute, hold on now. <laughs> what happens when a person with jaundice drinks the sweetest beverage on earth? And it's not really bad for you, it's not refined sugar. Is our Dar okay? He was attacked? Chokidola, are you okay? He's, he's guarding our shoes, by the way. They took your glasses. Oh. So. See if they like purified water. <laughs> <laughs> It's an art to get them back. It's not that they feel a sense of reciprocity. It's that you distract them with the item, and then they drop it, and then you grab it. So already a Kinshina Krishna's shoe is on the roof. In case of any of you feeling really good vibes in here, that's why, because if his shoe up there on the top of the roof. Who did it? See, he's, he's like a uh, firefighter supreme, but now we can add to his resu- resume that he can, he's a monkey whisperer also. I'm really impressed. Did you get your glasses? Are you okay? Okay, uh, there's one in our room. Uh, you wanna to go to our room, there's a gigantic stick in there if you want it. We threw this in extra for the talk tonight. <laughs> little entertainment. Okay, let's refocus. Oh. Now, if you get the monkeys to do that. No, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> anyway, we're pretty safe in here. I don't know if they can get in. Where was I? Jaundice. Thank you. Sugarcane juice. Tastes terrible when you have jaundice. It's the sweetest beverage on on earth. I used to drink it in South India when I lived there. Put a little ginger, a little bit of lime. On a muggy hot day in Bangaluru, used to be called Bangalore, Uh, you have some sugarcane juice and you not only feel refreshed but nourished. It's got a lot of antioxidants and nutrients. But when you have jaundice and you take the curative, it tastes terrible. And that's because of the bilious secretion that's even affecting the tongue. Bile is very bitter. And so the advice that uh, Rupa Goswami is, says that when you take to this practice, figure out, first of all, that the science is valid. And use your intelligence just the way you do when you go to a doctor. And a doctor says to you, here's how I've cured a thousand people the last month, Uh, this is what I recommend. And you verify it. And you look at the person's credentials, right? If you go to the doctor's office, and then there's a, he or she suggests a surgery, and you say, like, where did you go to school? And they say, no, no, just on the internet. You'll flee from that place. So you verify. And then uh, Rupa Goswami says, take the medicine. At first it'll be bitter. We're like under attack, right? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
0: Emma's gonna have a shot at it now, I think. So, so as you take the, the, the curative, then the jaundice recedes. And then you can start to taste the sweetness of it. So he recommends that take it at first as a curative. Don't worry about taste. Just understand that it's medicine and continue to take it. And apply the principle of creating uh, an environment as, uh, of spiritual sound vibration. And. When you do that, then you'll start to notice a couple of things. And here's two, two of the benefits that he says, or that all of the yoga texts say that we'll experience. First one is called Jnana. Everyone say Jnana. So there's a specific definition for this. It's, it's, a, it's the origin of the, the word we have in English, no, know, K-N-O-W. If you ever wondered why that's such a strange spelling, it comes from Sanskrit nyan which also looks a little funny because it's a j and an n with a, a squiggly thing over it and he's saying nyan so gnana and knowledge are cognate and so knowledge specifically means this in the ba- very basic definition and that is you're able to see for yourself the difference between you and your physical gross and subtle body. You see that you're different from your body. You're a resident in a, in a body. You have a mind. You have a body, but you're not the body and you're not the mind. That's knowledge. Does that make sense? So it's actually, there's a word for that too, that experience it's called shakshitva, which means witnesshood. That you're able to actually be a witness and not be uh, caught up in the maelstrom. You know what a maelstrom is? It's a whirlpool. You get in a whirlpool and you can't get out. So the mind is like that, and the experience of being in the body and getting overwhelmed by thinking I'm my body and so forth is like getting dragged into a whirlpool. It's hard to get out of. So one of the benefits of changing the transcendental sound in your life and keeping the transcendental vibration going is that you're able to get knowledge and come to this level of, of perception called shakshitva which means that you're a witness you're watching it going on but you're not carried away by it you're not uh, emotionally attached to it because you're the one watching it happen you're you're separate from the incidents that are going on so that's the first benefit of, of keeping the transcendental vibration going and you'll see it for yourself. And the second one is called vairagya. Everyone please say vairagya. Say vairagya. Rag means attachment to various items and habits that are not healthy. Has any, anybody ever gotten attached to something that uh, they know is not good for them? One, two, three, four, five, Uh, It's easy, my father used to say this, so it's easy as falling off a log. I don't know where he got that from, but uh, how easy is it? Easy as falling off a log, as I guess it's easy to fall off a log. So it's easy as falling off a log to get swept away by various habits that just, who knows where they come from, just like with gardeners. Who knows where weeds come from? You just go out there the next day and they're all over the place. And s- similarly, the environment we're, we're in is rife, r-a-f, r-i-f-e, with uh, various influences that can uh, pull us down. So that's rag. So vairagya means that you start to develop a healthy, detachment from these unhealthy habits that can arise in your life and you, it's like a kind of um, you feel that it's coming from a higher power it's, it's descending into your life because of the transcendental sound vibration and you feel this strength it's, it's a, a kind of spiritual strength once somebody asked my spiritual master Prabhupada that uh, why is the material world so tricky and so hard to overcome? And Prophet answered that it's actually that one's intention is weak, not that the material pull is so strong. And he gave an example, if you keep yourself in good physical shape, and you're healthy and you, you have good uh, health habits, then you're much less likely to, to fall ill because your immune system's so strong. So we can also develop a strong immune spiritually. Uh, a spiritual strength means we have an immunity to the petty things of life. Uh, th- those kinds of niggling little habits that then turn into something that is, uh, overtakes our lives and uh, wastes our valuable human time. So two benefits from Upgrading the sound vibration in one's life and learning this secret of keeping the transcendental sound vibration going wherever one goes And uh, that is jnana Which means what? And and what's the specific definition of knowledge? Yes
2: The separa- or knowing the separation between your gross, physical, and subtle self.
0: Right, right. exactly. Bodies. Thank you. Any other points on that? There was one other aspect that I mentioned. It was a state of, of consciousness that, that one achieves. It came during the monkey attack, so you probably don't remember. What I said was sakshitva. This is... Yeah, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. By the monkey attack? <laughs> we orchestrated it. We asked them to come. Yeah. Yes?
1: Being like an observer and being yes. separated from the situation. You're an
0: observer. So, so if you're in that uh, state... And it, this is reality. It's not a... Um, an intellectual adjustment of the mind. It's actually the real thing. We, we are ultimately impervious to the changes uh, of, of the body, including death. This is something that comes up in the Bhagavad Gita that I certainly appreciated. When I was young, I used to worry a lot about death, and I asked my parents what it was, and they didn't have much of an answer, except for a, don't worry about it right now, and I thought, yeah, but I'll have to worry about it sometime. So it wasn't very good. And I... This is like in a movie or something. (laughs) And when I first read the Bhagavad Gita and Krishna said that death is just a change of clothes. It... uh, it, uh, uh, it relieves my anxiety because that made a lot of sense. And, all, and then uh, knowing that there's a practice through which we can achieve that vision and one can become what's called dhira. Dhira means that you have a steadiness in your life where you're not affected by the ephemeral nature of the world, it means it's, things are always changing from one thing to the next, including our bodies. There are all kinds of situations that c- can be um, trying and emotionally wrenching even. However, somebody who's dera, although they have compassion for those who are going through these things, they don't become antisocial, they don't become cold-hearted. On the contrary, they're, they're feeling for other people and realizing that the the existential situation everyone's in, but at the same time, they have this very healthy and real sense that I'm observing it and I'm not actually ultimately affected by it. Sometimes it's described, it means our existential anxieties as being a dreamlike state. Uh, If you've ever been in a dream where you were being chased by, well, anyway, That kind of sounds cliche, being chased by a lion. Who's, who has a dream like that? You? Yeah? <laughs> okay. I'm glad that, I mean, I'm not glad you're being chased by the lion, but I'm glad there's somebody I know that has that dream. I'll tell you my dream that recurs all the time, that I have a plane to catch and I can't find my ticket. And I can't get through the airport and find the counter. But when I wake up, I think, "Hey, I got an e-ticket, no problem." And <laughs> so there, there's a uh, there's a a way that we we can become so absorbed in the changing world that we forget ourselves, that we're solid, we're steady. But when we become more aware of our actual identity, this is reality, who we are, then we become Dira. We're we're were not wrenched by the various changes that happen in life. In fact, there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita, if you'd look it up, please, in the sixth chapter, where Krishna describes the awakening of a spiritual consciousness. Wait till you hear this. This'll, this is a life changer. And it, you'll never be the same after you hear this. So if you wanna not hear it, you can go out with the monkey fighters for a minute. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, about yeah. Um, uh, one is not disturbed even am- for this we will require glasses. Either yeah, I'll just have Deva Vrata read it. So in this verse, Krishna is talking about the experience, what it feels like to come into this, uh, uh, realization that I'm non-material. That I'm beyond the, the changes of this world, including whatever's gonna happen with this body. And that one realizes one's connection with, with the source of everything. And there's a, there's a sense that, uh, th- it, that arises consistently within the hearts of those who, who come to this, uh, level of realization. Good. If you'll give us a slightly dramatic reading, slightly.
2: In the state of perfection called trance or samadhi, one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities by practice of yoga. This perfection is characterized by one's ability to see the self by the pure mind and to relish and rejoice in the self. In that joyous state, one is situated in boundless transcendental happiness realized through transcendental senses. Established thus, one never departs from the truth. And upon gaining this, he thinks there is no greater gain. Being situated in such a position, one is never shaken, even in the midst of the greatest difficulty. This indeed is actual freedom from all miseries arising from material contact.
0: What did you hear? Any fragment that you heard, anything that touched your ear, please report it back. from the verse. Read it one more time.
2: In the stage of perfection called trance or samadhi. A little
0: slower, just go slightly slower and then it'll sound more dramatic and we'll be able to catch it.
2: In the stage of perfection called trance or samadhi, one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities by practice of yoga. This perfection is characterized by one's ability to see the self by the pure mind, and to relish and rejoice in the self. In that joyous state, one is situated in boundless, transcendental happiness, realized through transcendental senses. Established thus, one never departs from the truth. And upon gaining this, he thinks there is no greater gain. Being situated in such a position, one is never shaken, even in the midst of great greatest difficulty. This, indeed, is actual freedom from all miseries arising from material contact.
0: <clears throat> okay, before we discuss the verse, you heard it, right? But first, I'm going to teach you a dance move. Is that okay? Okay, this is a, a, a yoga dance called the Swami. Would you like to learn it? Okay, everyone please stand up. So, the Swami has a few steps. And the first one, if you, if you can see my feet and legs, and watch. I'm standing almost in mountain pose. And now I'm stepping left in front of right, and then I'm stepping back into mountain. Thank you. And now I'm stepping, <laughs> I'm stepping right, right in front of left. left. Back to mountain, left, back, back. right, right. Back. back. Left, back, back. 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 Right. right, back. Very good. good. This is the beginning of the Swami. Swami. <laughs> and it's, a, it's an easy step to go back and forth. When one dances to the transcendental vibration, you'll find that you open up all the chakras and you're able to experience the feeling of the mantra. And then here's the next part, is you can, at certain intervals, put your hands in the air, but keep stepping back and forth. And back and forth. This looks really good. I'm saying, this is beautiful what you're doing. So this is the first part of the Swami. Okay, now, that's sufficient. But I'm gonna show you another move that goes with the Swami. It's kind of a reverse Swami, so watch my feet now. I'm going left behind right, right behind left. And back. And, you see the difference? (laughs) And now put your hands up. And do the swami. Very good. This is the swami. Now, as far as the hands, it's a little difficult to stand in tree pose for a long time with your hands straight up in the air. So, it's uh, at intervals, you'll notice especially like when you're chanting, it really opens up your solar plexus. You put your hands in the air and then you can sing louder with your hands in the air and it's more expressive. You can bring the mantra out. So, and then back when you're listening, because it's call and response, then you can put your hands back down by your sides and then back to the Swami. And whenever you want to mix it up a little bit, you can do the reverse. And I saw in Toronto, we had an outside kirtan and There was some young college student came over and she was really enthusiastic. The first time she ever saw a kirtan and she added something to the Swami step. You wanna see it? It was spontaneous. She went like this. (laughs) And she did it for a long time. And uh, it it, uh, brought a lot of attention because it was so sincere. So there, there are a few innovations you can add to the Swami, but that's the basic Swami step with, with a little extra uh, variation that you can add on for yourself. Does that sound good? So what I recommend is we start a kirtan sitting. We're gonna try it for a little while. And then when you feel like it, then you can just you know stand up and just try swaying back and forth with the Swami step. And then when you really feel it, you can put your hands in the air. Or even if you don't feel it, put your hands in the air, and then see if you feel it more. Does that sound good? All right, let's sit back down. Uh, Can you bring Javi's chair over here, please? Should have kept one of those big harmoniums. You know what I mean? Okay. I'm gonna start with a couple of uh, mantras that um, help us to embrace the main mantra, which is the, called the Maha Mantra And this has the three very uh, powerful names of the Supreme, Hare, Krishna, and Rama. And these uh, specific names of our original divine source are so uh, powerful, spiritually powerful, that the, the yoga wisdom texts say that even if you don't know what they are exactly, but you, you say them that just like medicine, even if you don't know what's in it and who does anyway, you take the medicine, it'll have the effect. Okay, well, we have a, a couple more minutes. So if you want to sit down, we can, um, then take a, a few reflections. Just a, a reflection, this amplifies the whole experience think of anything that uh, you've heard in the discussion so far that seemed uh, useful to you. Like, you know, sometimes if I go to a talk, there's one thing I hear, or maybe more, that I say, oh, that's something I'm going to use. I'm going to take it with me. So say you walk out of here, and you're halfway across the lawn, and someone grabs you by the arm and says, what was that guy talking about in there? Here's the one thing that you're gonna tell that person that you, that you heard in here. So let's turn it up a little bit. Rinal, yes. Here comes the mic.
1: <laughs> Ruji, the invocation mantra of Isho Upanishad. We talked about Isho Upanishad. Didn't yes. Uh, I have this
0: question always. Uh, what is this Adaha? Like, you know,
1: what is this Ada? Ada is the spiritual world, idam is the material world, is that what it is? Can you
0: look at the word for word please, in context? And while he's looking that up, uh, let's see, yes. Straight back.
1: Uh, what I really liked in your class today was that that how you told us that we should always keep the transcendental vibration going, and no matter where we are, we will always be undisturbed by all the external circumstances. So I really like that point. That how we're always supposed to keep the transcendental vibration going. Yes,
0: thank you. It's very practical. And you may be disturbed by external circumstance. In fact, I, I can almost guarantee you will. But the way you can come back into balance, the way to actually process and change the your consciousness amidst whatever's going on, is to come back to this, this um, directive, which is to keep the transcendental vibration going. Don't forget that. Uh, in all circumstances, uh, we're most effective when, when we're fully conscious. And that means to be conscious of our connection to our original divine source and how we're an instrument. We're effective as instruments. And when we try to perform on our own, independently we uh, then get all kinds of anxiety we also feel frustrated but when we're thinking of how to be in service and how to be an instrument for the supreme that's when we feel perfectly aligned and the way to get back to that state is by the vibration and especially the mantra we just sang because what it really means is O Supreme, O Krishna, O energy of Krishna, please engage me in your service. And especially when you chant it, if you're thinking like that, please let me be an instrument, let, you, let me just be absorbed in service, then whatever the disturbance is, you can uh, come back to that state of feeling useful and empowered and you can also be dhira that uh, phrase I meant, that word I mentioned, where you're undisturbed by the situation. You may be daring and active externally, but internally you're solid. You know that uh, you're ultimately just the witness of what's happening. Thank you very much for remembering the main mantra that I was trying to promote tonight, which is keep the transcendental vibration going. Okay, the next one while I get my glasses and look up Adah, yes.
2: I was just thinking that in today's world through like the medium of social media and through you know the medium of so many outlets there's a lot of tips in terms of how to improve your life some of them are practical, some of them are theoretical some of them are like kind of a pie in the sky but I think this practical point of just keeping the transcendental vibration going like was mentioned previous. It's advice that is applicable in any time place or circumstance, whether you're on a train to Delhi or whether you're on a plane to New York or whether you know you're in the thick of whatever you may be going through, if you can somehow stay connected with some type of book, some type of mantra, whatever it may be, um, I've noticed in my personal experience it brings you from here to here practically within five to ten minutes.
0: Thank you uh, and. Uh, th- Auxiliary thought to what I mentioned about in the beginning the curative sometimes doesn't taste good. The mind goes through various changes based on its exposure to the modalities of the world, of which there are three main uh, modalities. The first one is called sattva, it's very clear illuminating experience. You're able to see uh, who you are. You're also able to f- feel satisfied. And the, the, the word that goes along with satisfa- uh, satisfaction is enough. I have enough. And uh, I, don't, I don't need to go anywhere or to uh, build something. My house doesn't need to be bigger. I don't need to go shopping. I'm fine right now. I'm, I'm satisfied. This is sattva and then there's rajas which is this uh, mode in which no matter uh, where i go i always want to go somewhere else just like when you fly around the world which all of you are probably doing right now Uh, you get to uh, qatar is that what it's called qatar and i guarantee if you look around the airport there you're going to find a sign telling you to go somewhere else And when you get somewhere else, like you go to Paris and they'll say, go to Thailand. You get to Thailand and say, how about Hawaii? There's always somewhere more to go. There's always something more to attain. If you get $1,000, you're thinking, well, it has to be 10,000, otherwise it's not enough. And you never quite get there. You're always running after the mirage and it recedes. This is Rajas. And then Thomas is an unfortunate situation where we fall out of the light completely. And we forget who we are. And if you've ever been in a state where you just wanna lash out at people, and uh, you just feel bad about yourself and about other people, and you're, you don't have anything productive to add to the conversation, let's put it like that. And, and also, you may even be destructive to yourself and to others. This is tamas. And these modalities are extremely powerful and they seize us and uh, actually they get in us. They can infiltrate, how do they do it? Through the sound vibration, it comes in our ears. There's certain kinds of vibrations that are in the lower modes. If you let them in, and I'll give you an example, the way I thought of this, uh, uh, of, of, uh, of this situation in, in our township called Burlingame in the Bay Area, San Francisco, I take a walk at least once a day, and I take my notepad with me because I like to look at things, write them down, and I was walking past these storm drains along the street. And they're there to catch the water running down the gutters, and then who knows where it goes? Well, I do now, it goes to the bay. Because on every one of the storm drains, there's an iron placard with an image of a fish And then it says these words, no dumping, drains to bay. So as I was looking at those, I was thinking, my ears are just like those storm drains. And if I were to get a tattoo down in Lloyd Bazaar, then I'd be crazy. But um, I'd get it right up here and here. And it would have a picture of a little fish and it'd say, no dumping, drains to bay of the heart whatever sound vibration I allow in here, it goes into the heart region. And so, uh, this uh, point was, uh, that I wanted to expand upon is that the mind becomes addicted to distraction. This is Rajas. If you might notice, I get pleasure out of distraction. This is, uh, there are images on a screen, or I, know, I have a, there's a, a handyman who comes to our house and he'll do work painting and this and that. And I just noticed that he has to have the radio on in the background to listen. It's gotta be something to, like that resonates with the chatter part of the mind. Have you ever seen this before? Somebody's working and, and then a lot of people in their house, they have to have the TV on all day. It's just going in the background. They're not really listening to it, but that's the vibration that matches what's going on in their head. That's Rajas and a lot of Thomas too. And so we have to fine tune that. And in the beginning, it's a little hard because you put on the transcendental sound vibration and it sounds like, wait a minute, what's that? That's, that's not bad news. That's uh, <laughs> something else. So it's an it acquired taste and you have to practice it. You have to do the sadhana, which is the main part of the sadhana is too. Work with me now, people. Okay, come on, let's try it again. The main sadhana is? That's it. And if you do that, gradually, the the transcendental vibration then, it's so powerful, it purifies these lower modes, the, the modalities I'm talking about. And then we start to actually seek it the, the way somebody likes to keep their TV on all the time. We want the transcendental vibration going wherever we are. We don't want to be out. Uh, want it to be absent in the environment even for a second because it's protecting us. That's one thing, and it's also purifying us. Okay, a couple more reflections. Yes, Prabhu, please.
1: Yeah. Uh, As I grew up in in Krishna consciousness, I understood that the word sin, that uh, implies uh, implies the uh, breaking of the laws of nature, but before understood before that, sin was something difficult to define. It was something that it was bad, and therefore punishment, hell, and so on. In the same way, the word service is not clearly defined because service generally is related to the word uh, "I am less," and I'm going to uh, do something others want me to do, or um, I'm going to get paid, or, or um, I want to go, uh, yes, basically there's no, we are adhering our, ourselves to those concepts, like sin or, ser, or serve, in the wrong way, and when we hear it in a contemporary state of mind, it's difficult to understand that this is the most privileged position ever,
0: Yeah, I th- I think that's very true. And that's why I like to look words up. And notice whenever I'm whenever I'm studying something, I always say what does it actually mean? I'll look at the word because superficially the mind will assume that it means something according to the context I heard it in previously. I may not even know. And sometimes when we look at the origin of words, it helps to unpack that and say, you know, here's Here's what it is with a little more context and definition. And that's one of the uh, teachings that uh, Rupa Goswami gives in the book that I told about earlier called The Nectar of Instruction. Is he said, don't do your practice mindlessly. Look into every aspect of it and have a sense of why you're doing it. Take the time to say, so, uh, you know, what's the origin of this? Where did it come from? What does it mean, that type of thing? It can be really helpful. And, and as far as the reticence towards uh, lowering oneself to the position of a servant, that's, that's true that there's that uh, hesitancy based on the culture that we have, that we're supposed to climb to the top and be the master, not the servant. It's sort of deeply ingrained But uh, with some analysis as is given in many of these uh, yoga teachings, first of all, Prabhupada explains in one of his books called The Nectar Devotion that everybody's serving and the people who, for instance, uh, say they've become a master of something, if you analyze carefully, you'll see they're just serving more people and it's a more intense kind of service. For instance, if you look at people who are running for a political office, they have to really go around and convince a lot of people that are gonna serve them. And I can, I can give you the best service. So from a, a wider perspective, if we analyze it and see that that's a phenomena that's, that is ubiquitous, that uh, w- then we can also understand that through the teachings of, of Krishna and Lord Chaitanya, that there's a, def, there's a different culture in which uh, service, those who pursue service and try to perfect it, actually are the, the most refined individuals. And they're also in a, in a higher position. It's counterintuitive, no doubt. So that's why the Krishna consciousness and the practice of spiritual life is really. It takes culture. It takes uh, inculcation in practice.
1: Yes. One more, one more detail. Yeah. I have concluded that service in our context means, in, in a universal context means, an investing your energy into something, right? And then you, if you're selective, you will select your relationship with Krishna and... Investing your energy in that relationship.
0: Definitely, we have to invest our energy somewhere, and uh, the the teaching, and in fact, uh, what Rinald pointed out from this invocation verse about there is a there is a source to everything. the The verse he pointed out was from this book called the Shisha and it's it starts off like this. You've probably heard this before, or seen it on the wall somewhere. Uh, graffiti in New York City. Uh, and it means that the complete whole is perfect. There's nothing out of alignment. Everything's perfectly arranged by the complete whole. And whatever units emanate from the complete whole, such as this phenomenal world, are perfectly equipped as complete wholes. And even when you take units away from the complete whole, it remains a complete balance. It doesn't diminish. It's a very uh, edifying observation about who we are as spiritual beings and what our connection is to the complete whole. And so the point that connects here is that when we serve the complete whole, it's like watering the root of a tree. And when you water the root, then all the leaves and branches become nourished. And this is one of the great secrets of spiritual life. You give your energy as you're pointing it in service to the complete whole, and then you feel satisfied as part of the whole. In fact, we heard about how, what a joyful experience it is. What a uplifting experience it is. And fortunately, it doesn't have to remain theoretical. As I pointed out the other night, maybe some of you were here or not, but uh, there's a question you can ask yourself to change your attitude and your standing anywhere you are, almost immediately. And the question is, how can I be of service? Try saying that. How can I be of service? How did it feel? Okay, good. Now, any awkward situation you're in, if you ask yourself, how can I be of service? You'll find that. You, you'll, you'll learn uh, or you'll, you'll feel aligned that now I'm seeking service and it means that I'm trying to do the best good in the situation here rather than waiting for everybody to serve me. That's a lost cause because people don't show up and everybody's competing for the job of being the center. So if you want to be the servant, not only are you appreciated and wanted everywhere, but you feel naturally aligned and satisfied. There's a, 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 an analogy to keep this point in place, if I may, and that is the story of the tiny screw. So my uh, spiritual master told about this many times, and he said that a tiny little screw is made for a purpose. It fits into some machine somewhere. Can you think of a, a little screw that fits into a machine somewhere? Okay, so when it's in place, it's extremely valuable. It has a purpose, it's connected. When the little screw falls out and it's on the ground, separated from its original machine, you can't sell it on eBay for three cents. I don't, maybe you can't. Uh, but one day I was walking along and I felt something hard on my foot so I looked down and it was a little screw. So I picked it up, and then I remembered what my spiritual master had taught about the little screw, and I started feeling sorry for it. It's almost as if it was personified. And I said, th- what happened to you? Where's your, where's your machine? And I felt a, a, a kindred soul to the screw. So I took it home, and I have it on my desk. And I always remember when I find that screw and I think, yeah, it was engaged in glorious service. What a, a little mighty entity it was to be connected to the big machine. And now it's a forlorn, separated, little worthless entity. And, and so I relate to that and I see that and I think, find the machine. And yoga means to get connected in service, to put your energy, come back into the whole, the complete whole. Then you're immediately connected to, to the energy, to your glory, and that, that's the the essence of the practice of devotional service
1: can i add one more thing please the first time you gave this story uh, at least when i heard it you you said that that screw uh, that part that you stepped on was on, on on your parikrama in brindavan
0: that's right it was on the parikrama path and it, it didn't hurt my foot but i could definitely feel something hard under there And that's where I found it on the parikrome path.
1: It was easier at that time because everything was sand.
0: That's right. Yeah. 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 Is everyone okay? Okay, Okay, so the verse says Om Purnam. uh, purnam means perfectly. Ada means that, Purnam yidam. So it's, it's a, um, it's a directional word, it's pointing to something that is connected to Sanskrit in the word tut. In fact, that, that's where the word that comes from. It comes from Sanskrit, it's originally tut. And if you put an H on it, then it becomes that. So you're pointing to something and you're saying that when you say a adha. So generally when you're talking about tut, like, have you ever heard this om tatsat? Everyone try it. You can add it to your vocabulary, om tat, sat because it's in the Bhagavad Gita 17th chapter. You try this out tomorrow. Whenever you finish talking, you say om tatsat. I offer this to the Supreme or when you finish something you're doing in service, you, Om Tat Sat. I, I did it for the sake of the Supreme. It keep, keep you aligned. So, Tat. So there's uh, two very uh, common words you'll find throughout the yoga teachings. There's Tat and Tatva. So when you add the va on there, it uh, turns it into a, a, a noun. And so it's like uh, thatness. There, Everything has a nature. And you're pointing to that nature. So one of the teachings in the Bhagavad Gita is that some things have thatness. That is, they exist. And other things are temporary and they're always moving. The that, the tut, is permanent. It's always there, always will be there. It's your home. And the absence of that is called illusion. It doesn't have any substance. And if you try to take refuge in it, it'll disappoint you. So that is pointing to the complete whole, that which is our original divine source, Krishna. And if we take shelter there, then we'll be happy. So the ada is pointing us in that direction. There's another uh, use of ta- that's very ancient. It comes from the oldest book I told you about. The Rig Veda, Om Tad Vishnu Paramam Param Sada Apasanti Surya Ho Deviva Chakshara Tatam Devipraso Vibhanyavo Jagrabhansaha Samindate Vishnu Yat Paramam Param. It's saying the person who walks in this world but is looking towards that world, the, the permanent spiritual world, that person is walking in the right direction because they're keeping their focus on that which is real. Now we're we're gonna end because it's seven o'clock, but I just want to show you a little practice you can do when you wake up in the morning. And uh, one of my practices is go to bed hungry, just my personal practice, go to bed hungry and wake up with a prayer and a plan. Can you say it? Go to bed hungry and wake up with a prayer and a plan. So when you wake up in the morning, it's good to have a prayer. Instead of just waking up and then turning on, I don't know, CNN or something like that, then have a mantra ready, a prayer. Try it tomorrow when you wake up. And uh, say say your prayer, your mantra, as soon as you come to consciousness when you wake up. Fair enough? So when you open your eyes tomorrow, try this, go. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama Rama, 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 Hare. And try one other thing. May I? Give homework. Write a tiny little plan, whatever you can think of tonight, before you go to bed. Get yourself some like something to write on and a pen. And write down a plan for tomorrow. At least script the first couple hours of what you want to do what you want to achieve. And you'll notice, if you wake up with a prayer and a plan, your whole trajectory is gonna be different. Especially if you go to bed hungry. Because you're gonna get up early. One of the tricks in bhakti yoga is don't go to bed stuffed because you can't sleep well and you can't wake up well. When you, when you don't eat at night, when you fast in the late afternoon and go to bed, and try to go to bed early. You can get up in the wee hours of the day, and then you can execute your plan before anybody else even wakes up. And then you're gonna feel really happy. Okay, um, prayer and a plan, go to bed hungry, and? Come on, work with me a little more. That's it, that's the essence of all the teachings of bhakti. Change the vibration, change your life, upgrade it. The vibration, and you'll upgrade your life completely. And you have all the tools to do it, and you'll be completely happy. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming. And we'll see you tomorrow if you can make it. hari Krishna.